Money makes you think. Hi, I'm your host Aditi Anand, a teenager who frankly has a lot of questions about how finance works. Today, we're going to be talking about cryptocurrency. Money. Money's been evolving for hundreds of years now. The first recognized currency was the shekel, created by the Mesopotamians way back around 650 BC. But the concept of money has been around for much longer in the form of bartering. You know, how you exchange your airpods with your younger sister for a few minutes of peace and silence. Anyways, later on they turned into portable and more common units. Granted, they still didn't look much like the money we're familiar with. These were things travelers found in their environments. Traders around the Indian and Pacific Ocean used cowrie shells while the Romans used leather. We know what happened after that. Money is now everywhere in the form of gold and other metals, paper, credit cards, and even digital wallets. It just seemed like our concept of money has always been destined to shapeshift into something smaller, lighter, easier to use, and of course, faster at making payments. Bitcoin was brought into this world around 2009. To give you a bit of a backstory, this was the same time that the Great Recession was taking place. Picture rising unemployment rates and bankruptcy that rippled out globally. A person, or possibly a group of people under the pseudonym Satoshi Nakamoto, wanted to create, quote, a purely peer-to-peer -peer version of electronic cash to be sent directly from one party to another without going through a financial institution." End quote. They basically wanted to digitize money and allow transactions to happen seamlessly, but most importantly, securely. The financial institutions that they talked about are electronic money institutions, or EMIs, who is a legal person granted authority to issue e-money. They're like banks, but are more adapted to increase speed and encrypt private data in the cyberspace. You might be familiar with EMIs like Apple Pay, Google Pay, and PayPal. Satoshi's idea gave a brief nod to digital signatures. Digital signatures, similar to those in real life, are evidences that legally identify a user in a transaction. But that was only a part of the solution. They still couldn't guarantee that there wouldn't be double spending. You see, when you pay a $5 note to buy a fictitious bag of popcorn, the employee verifies that you've indeed handed over $5, not just said you have. This prevents something called double spending, which involves you just infinitely reusing that single $5 bill to keep buying more and more popcorn. In this scenario, it's still you and that employee being involved. But if you chose to instead pay for that popcorn using e-money, it becomes a little more tricky. Now, this $5 is being transferred as zeros and ones, binary. It's not physical anymore. So the merchant, who's the movie business in this case, has to contact your bank's computer to verify that you have given them money. A database back of the bank gives proof of what e-money you have spent and what's still left. Now, Bitcoin wanted to be e-money but without the involvement of a third party. So they knew they had to tackle the obvious problem of double spending. But how? 
Insert blockchain. This is where the next common buzzword you hear all the time comes in. Blockchain. Cryptocurrency lives on this stuff. It's a record of all the transactions made by the currency that verify the spender. So, yes, computers are still used to store this data, except this time it's not housed at the bank. It's now a network of volunteer computers, making the data that it stores public, unlike a regular financial institution. This decentralized system, consisting of blocks of data, are connected together, hashed into a chronological order that links the latest block added all the way back to the first one. And all these blocks are permanent as well, so once data is entered, it cannot be modified. So there's definite proof of every transaction available to anyone who wants to view them at any time. Crypto mining, what most of us think is just generating new crypto coins out of thin air, is actually the reward miners get for allowing their computers to process the transactions that fortify the very blockchain. You keep allowing your computer to mine coins and the cryptocurrency architecture remains sturdy. It's a win-win for both. Or is it? Fast forward to March 2022 and there are about 18,000 different cryptocurrencies, all the different versions of the parent technology used to create Bitcoin. Though investors reap crazy rewards during peak performances, crypto is still an unpredictable asset. At the date of recording, Bitcoin has plummeted in this year alone by $1 trillion. On one hand, skeptics believe that this erratic behavior is blamed on the fact that it isn't regulated, unlike recognized currencies in the world, giving way to massive losses for naive beginners who want to hop onto the bandwagon to just make a quick buck. On the other hand, enthusiasts say that crypto could be the uniting factor among countries, preventing depreciation of a single country's currency, leading to the inflation in most others. Only the demand for cryptocurrency among its users would determine its price. While the story unfortunately ends there for now, I think cryptocurrency is a very cool combination of finance and technology. And whatever your view may be on crypto, this technology is bound to transform the landscape of finance, perhaps showing us the lengths to which we will go to continue money's birthright which I think we've all found out is to evolve. Thank you for listening to the first ever episode of Money Makes You Think, the birth of cryptocurrency. This series is all about exploring the common questions that we have about the financial world and is written for teenagers by a teenager. That's me. In the next episode, we're going to look at life insurance and whether it really does guarantee immortality. Thanks again for listening, and remember, always stay curious. Bye!